series that we're doing is all about how God loves us and how we love God and then how we love others. And so the first week we discovered how that God is love and God loves us and he is compassionate towards us. He is gracious towards us that God would do every, anything and he did do everything to show his love to us and that he'll never leave us and uh, he'll always be there around us. Last week, we discovered that the first part of how we love God and the first part is that we love God with all of our heart, with all of our personality, with all of our emotions and uh, we give our emotions over to God. Today, we're going to deal with uh, a subject that, that we probably hear a lot about but it's probably hard to define. I want to ask you a question first this morning. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered what a soul is? What I mean by soul, I'm not talking about the soul of your feet. I'm talking about the soul, S-O-U-L, soul. Have you ever wondered what a soul is? The dictionary defines a soul as the spiritual or immaterial part of a person. The only time we talk about a soul is either in a religious gathering or if you go to a yoga class, right? I mean, like, we never really talk about the soul of a person. You don't go to work and you don't ask someone, hey, how's your soul doing, you know? But we do actually use the word soul in lots of different scenarios. We use the word soulmate for somebody who we think we were meant to be with. We were destined to spend our whole life with that person. Uh, Sometimes we use the word soul music. And for those of you who don't know me or I've never shared this with you, when I was in my late teens, I loved soul music. I seriously thought that I should have been a person of a different color skin. I like all my music was soul music. I mean, it went from Luther Vandross to Lionel Richie. And I mean, I loved it. I mean, I went past that phrase. But soul music is the music uh, that has a lot of rhythm and blues in it. And it gets its name from, from coming deep from the soul of some, someone. We say things like, I won't tell a soul, or confession is good for the soul. We sometimes say when somebody has passed away that God rest their soul. Or someone who is wandering life and they've got no direction, we call them a lost soul. Uh, Or somebody who is young but dresses like a grandma, uh, we call them an old soul. Uh, and then there are those uh, who compromise their integrity and we say that they sell their soul. Uh, some who want to tell the truth, they bear their soul. And we even talk about mind, body, and soul when we're talking about healthy living. So if we use this word so much in so many different scenarios, what is the soul? I'm going to leave you to ponder that just for a moment. What is the soul? So Jesus one day was walking uh, uh, with his disciples, and, and we discussed this last week, but a religious man came to him, and he said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And in Mark chapter 12 and verse 29 and verse 30, Jesus said this. Jesus replied, he says, the most important commandment in the, uh, is this. Listen, O Israel. 
The Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus was actually referencing at this point a conversation that God had with a man called Moses. And we find that account in Deuteronomy chapter uh, chapter 5, sorry, chapter 6 and verse 5. And God said this to Moses. He says, Moses, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And so Jesus says that part of the greatest commandment that there is, greater than anything else, is to love the Lord your God with all your soul. So if we can't tangibly define what a soul is, then I think, how are we supposed to love God with our soul? I mean, Have you ever thought about how do I love God with my soul? So today I want to clarify what it means to love the Lord your God with your soul. And from this, we're going to start to actually understand what a soul is. So when God gave this command to Moses to love the Lord your God with all your soul, God spoke to Moses in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word that God used is a Hebrew, is a Hebrew word called nepes, N-E-P-E-S. And, and this word, the very basic sense meaning of this word means the essence of someone's life, the very act of breathing. The Hebrews would use this word to define the, what they call the inner man. Now, I don't want to be sexist this morning, so some of you have got in, inner women. I just hope that your inner woman is for a woman and the men have inner men. If you're a man, you've got an inner woman, then you've got some issues, you know, I'm just saying. So, but the inner man or the inner woman, this means your inner feelings, your inner thoughts, your inner conscience, and the inner person within you. That the inner man or the inner woman of the person is that secret person that only you know. It's the secret person that only you know. You, you know that, that person. It's the one that you hear every day. It's the one that tries to guide you in certain situations. It's, it's the one that sometimes makes you feel really good about yourself. But it's also that person that sometimes makes you feel really bad about yourself. It's the one person that you've never really introduced to anybody else. No matter how close you are to somebody, you've probably never really introduced this inner person to anybody else. You know how this person thinks, and you know how this person acts. Sometimes you're ashamed of this person, and sometimes this person gets you into trouble. Other times, this person saves you from trouble. And sometimes this person, this inner person, stops you from making bad decisions. But then other times, it guides you into making bad decisions. I call this the Jiminy Cricket of our life. For those of you who don't know who Jiminy Cricket is, and then, you know, you haven't lived if you've never seen the movie Pinocchio. 
And it was like one of my favorite movies when I was a kid, like one of the books I would read, Pinocchio. And just to give you a refresher, and so take you back to your kids' days, Pinocchio was a boy who was made out of wood by his father, Geppetto, and he really wanted to be a real boy. And uh, then an angel came and said that, you know, he had to show his worth to be a real boy. And so he would live his life as this wooden, uh, this wooden boy or with this wish to be a real boy. And so what would happen is the angel, or, or sorry, the fairy, I should say, not the angel, the fairy gave um, Pinocchio what we call a conscience. And the conscience was this cricket called Jiminy Cricket. And everywhere Pinocchio would go, he would have this cricket in his ear telling him the right things that he should do. But so often Pinocchio wanted to do his own thing. And so sometimes he got himself into trouble because he didn't listen to Jiminy Cricket. It was called his conscience. The problem is, so many of us, we have a Jiminy Cricket, but Jiminy Cricket isn't always a good person. In the story of Pinocchio, Jiminy Cricket always told Pinocchio the right things to do. But in our lives, our Jiminy Cricket sometimes tells us the right things, but sometimes he comes on this side and he tells us the wrong things to do. And so God told Moses, and Jesus said it was the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with your inner person, with the Jiminy Cricket of your life. You may be still a little confused of how you're supposed to love the Lord your God with your inner person. It is the inner person that knows how much you love God. Nobody else really knows how much you love God. How much you are faithful to God. How much you really think about God. How close your relationship with God. The only person who really knows that except for God is this inner person, your soul. This one that one day, this inner person in you is going to stand before God and it's going to have to give an account for the life that you have lived. You know, the Bible tells us that many one day will stand before God at the end of the world and they will say, God, I did this in your name. I did that in your name. I I, I did all this stuff in your name. Aren't I a wonderful person? And God's going to look at them and says, I never knew you. Depart from me. And you know what I believe? I believe it's those people are the ones who did not love the Lord their God with all their soul. They did all this other stuff, but that inner person within them never really loved God. They never showed God that they loved him with their soul. And the best way to to guide your soul or to love the Lord your God with your soul is through the access point to your soul. You know, they, they, they say that people with blue eyes and people with green eyes have pretty eyes. But they say people with brown eyes, you can fall deep in love with people with brown eyes. That's what they say. So I got pretty eyes. You just can't fall in love with me. So That's what they say. Why? Because they say it's through the eyes that you can see the soul of a person. Actually, I'm going to go further than that. It's not just through the eyes you can see the soul of the person. Actually, your senses, all your senses are the gateway to your soul. 
You know, if, if, there, if there is a wall here and your soul is on the other side, to get to your soul, you have to get to your soul through your senses. And your senses are five gifts that God has given every one of you. These are the gifts of touch, the gifts of, uh, of sight, the gifts of hearing, the gifts of taste, and the gift of smell. And so this morning we're going to discover how we can love the Lord our God through the gateway to our soul, our senses, so that we can come away and say, we know if we're loving God with our soul or not. So I've got five questions, quick questions I want to ask you this morning. And the first question is this. Do you see the compassion of God? Do you see the compassion of God? You know, in week one of this series, we discussed how God shows his love for us. We said that God is gracious and compassionate towards us. God shows his love to us because he is compassionate to us. He showers us with compassion. When you are hurt, you know what? God hurts. When you're in pain, God is in pain. When your life gets tough, God is compassionate to bring you out of that tough spot. The word compassion means to move passionately to right a wrong. So if there is a wrong in your life, if there is something that is affecting your life, it affects God as well. And he wants to move passionately to right that wrong. God is compassionate. And we love God by being able to reach out and touch God. To reach out and feel his compassion. You know, I, I don't know if you, you know the painting, you probably do, but there's a, a painting that was painted by Michelangelo. It's called The Creation of Adam. And there, there is God who's in heaven, and he's reaching down with his finger like this, and he's trying to touch man. And there, there is Adam who's got like this weak like finger, and he's just trying to touch God like barely. And, and it shows that God is trying to connect with man. God is trying to connect with Adam. And God is tr- constantly trying to connect with you, to touch you, to touch your life, to, to place his hand upon your life. And so often we have this kind of sense where we don't want to touch God. Or if we touch God, it's barely touching God. But I ask you this morning, does your life embrace God? Do you have a desire to touch God? To touch God. Do you have a desire to reach out and feel the hand of God? So you think, well, that's crazy. How can we touch God? God is reaching down and he wants to touch you. You know, when you've experienced the embrace of God, You've never experienced love like it. So this morning, like, we are setting up, and I'm out in the parking lot. I'm just coming in, in, in into, into the, the main building here. And one of our leaders, Zach, comes and sees me. And the first thing, he didn't say anything. He just came and gave me a big, big hug. Now, you know, I like to hug, but it was a little uncomfortable, I'll be honest. And so he comes and just gives me this big hug, and he's like, I'm sorry, man, I'm sorry. I knew exactly what he was saying. He was talking about England being thrown out the World Cup because, like, we're just stuck. 
And he was like, I'm sorry, man, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Knowing that the U.S. have got a chance to progress, which, you know, just like pours salt in the wounds even more. You know, but he comes and embraces me. And that's exactly what God does to you. When you wake up in the morning, God wants to embrace you. He wants to touch you. He wants to place his hand upon you and protect you. But do you know what so many of us do? When God comes, we're just like, whoa, don't get in my personal space. You know, don't make me feel uncomfortable, God. And I ask you this morning, do you feel the compassion of God? Do you feel the compassion of God? Are you ready for God to really touch your life? Second question I've got for you, do you see the grace of God? Do you see the grace of God? When you look out and see your life, what do you see? Do you see problems? Do you see the hard blows that life has given you? Do you see that person who just annoys you like crazy? It's all you see. It's just like, oh, man, that annoying person. You know, you're at work, and you're in your cubicle in your office, and you just hear that one annoying person who's got the annoying laugh, and it just annoys you and gets to you. Is that what you see in life? Do you, do you, or do you see that person who's wronged you? And every morning you wake up and you just think of that one person who has done you wrong. Do you see how little you have compared to others? Do you see the, the sins of others? Or do you see the grace of God at work in your life? The grace of God at work in your life. Do you see exactly what God has actually done in your life? That inner man, when you are all alone, that inner person within you, when you are all alone, what do you really see in life? Not what you tell other people. Not what you're viewing with your physical eyes, but in life, what are you seeing? Are you seeing the problems, the situations, the the things that you've done wrong in your life? Or are you seeing the grace of God in your life? You see, God has done incredible things for you. God has saved you. God has set you free. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says we shall be saved, saved from our sins, saved from our wrongdoings. And God has showered his grace upon you, and it's all around for you to see. You know, the person who loves the Lord their God with all their soul is the one who directs their inner person to see the grace of God in their lives. You know what they do? They don't see their sin. They see God. You know why? Because God doesn't see your sin anymore. He says that. He says, I will remember your sins no more. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees you for who you really are. And when you look at yourself or when you look around, do you see your sin or do you see God? When you look around at others, do you see the sin of others and the things that they're doing wrong? Or do you see how God is gracious and forgiving towards them as well? Do you see that God is our helper, not our punisher? So many of us, when we look out, we think God is just here to punish us, not God to help us and rescue us. That is the grace of God. There was a guy called David in the Bible. He became a king of a nation called Israel. 
And he wrote lots of songs unto God. He was a musician. And he loved to sing and he loved to play. And this was one of the songs he sang. And it was, it's found in Psalm chapter 40. And he said this. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And God, he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mire, uh, out of the mud, and he set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in God. Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. This is what the psalmist was saying. This is what David was saying. He says, you know, I've seen all the stuff that's gone in my life, but you know what I see more? I see a God who has lifted me out of the mire, out of the muck, out of my sins. I've seen a God who when I called, he answered. And I see a guy who sees in me more than I see in myself. That is what the psalm is saying. And someone who loves the Lord their God with all their soul is someone who can tell their inner person, forget all the other stuff that you see around. Just see Jesus. The God who is forgiving and the God who is loving. Third question I got for you this morning. Do you hear the whisper of God? Do you hear the whisper of God? When you are all alone, maybe you're lying in bed at night, maybe you're driving your car and the radio's off, maybe you're just sitting you know, on your deck or sitting in your lazy boy at home and nothing else is going on, what do you hear? Do you hear the voice of God? Or do you hear your inner man complaining about what's going on in life? Maybe your inner man is telling you how anxious he is. Or how depressed he is. Or how down he is. Or how much he's gasping for air. The one who loves the Lord their God with all their heart is the one who makes the decision not to listen to outside voices. Not to listen to the noises of this world, but is the one who listens silently for God. Some of you, you know, if, if you don't have like what we call devotional times or quiet times with God, times when you meditate with God, just think about the things of God. I encourage you, do it. Even if it's just five, ten minutes a day, just sitting quietly and just listening before God, do it. Because God will speak. There was a guy in the Bible called Elijah. He was a great guy. I mean, he did incredible things. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, 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 he was like the savior of his nation. He, he saw God do incredible miracles. And one day he was just needing to hear from God. And he, was, and, he, and he sat all alone. He's feeling depressed this one day. He sat alone in a cave. And suddenly there was an earthquake. And he thought, man, God must be in that earthquake. And he listened. And he couldn't hear God. Then there was this big thunderstorm. Crashes of lightning. Crashes of thunder. And he was like, that must be God. And he listened. But he didn't hear God. Then there was this, this, uh, this windstorm that came like a tornado. And it came and he goes, that must be God. And he listened and he listened and he listened. But yet he couldn't hear God. And then suddenly, there was this gentle breeze. This small little whisper. And he listened. And he listened a little more. 
and then he suddenly realized it was God. You know, most of the time, God doesn't come in these big earthquakes, in these big roars of thunder. God doesn't, you know, just come when you're like one day and it's like, whoa, you know, I hear God, you know, yes, God. That isn't how we hear God. You know, most of the time, it's through that small whisper. And someone who loves the Lord their God with all their soul is someone who has trained their inner man to be quiet and listen for God. Question number four, do you taste the goodness of God? Do you taste the goodness of God? That same guy, David, who wrote that psalm about, about God lifting him out the mire and the muck, he, he wrote this in, in Psalm 34, verse 8. David said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's kind of a weird terminology. How can you taste God? I mean, what? Is he like a lollipop and you just lick him or something? You know, I mean, how do you, is he like a meal you take? How do you taste God? But it's by tasting something that you discover if it is bitter or sweet. We taste it if we like it or not. And the psalmist says that we are to taste and see that the Lord is good. And the problem for most of us is we're not adventurous enough. Many of us, even Christians, we're scared to jump into following God. We're just comfortable with what we know. How many of you like vegetables? You want to raise your hand? You are the healthy people. You know, if you don't like vegetables, eat vegetables. I mean, just like put your, put your fingers over your nose or something. Vegetables are good for you. But if we were to go over to the house and ask the kids, how many of you like vegetables? I bet the response would be like, Ugh. this is what happens. Give some kids some chicken tenders and some fries and they're happy. Put something green on their plate. And they're like, oh, I don't want to try it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And then they don't want it because they think they're not going to like it. And this world that we live in has taught us that if we follow God, we're not going to like it. It's taught us that if we follow God, we're going to have to give up all the pleasures of the things that we enjoyed doing before. And so you don't want to follow God because you're going to give up all that other stuff. But you know what I discovered? The more I tasted vegetables, the more I liked them. I used to hate Brussels sprouts. I mean, seriously. I would have like a fight with my mom and dad. My mom and dad would always put Brussels sprouts on the plate. And like, there would be like five. My mom was like, you've got to eat at least four. And so I would, I would hold my, mouth, my nose before I'd eat anything else. I would hold my nose and just pop them all in my mouth as quick as possible and just like eat them. And then what I always do, and I still do it to this day, if you ever come out to eat with me, you'll see what I like most on the, on the, on the plate because that's the last thing I eat. You know, I don't eat things together. I eat things separately. So there's carrots. I'll eat the carrots. Then I'll eat the beans. And then I'll eat the peas. And then I'll eat the chicken because the chicken I like the most. And so that's kind of how I eat it. And, but so many of us, we like that in our life with God. We think, you know, we're not going to like it. But you know what I've discovered? When you get a taste for God, there's no other taste like it. You ask any alcoholic and ask them, hey, did you just want to go out and become an alcoholic? They'll be like, no. 
I bet most alcoholics, you ask them, especially like ones who, who like maybe beer or scotch or whiskey, and you ask them, hey, did you like that drink the first time you drank it? And you know what most are going to say? No. I'll be honest, beer tastes disgusting. People who drink it, I just don't know how you drink it. But this is what I've discovered. Things like beer, things like whiskey, things like scotch. The more you drink it, the more you get a taste for it. You ask someone to, you, you go and ask, say, you know, a, a teenage boy to drink a beer, he's going to think it tastes disgusting. He may not say to anybody it tastes disgusting, but inwardly he's like, oh, this, this really is horrible. You ask a grown man who's had 500 beers, and he's going to say, man, it tastes amazing. All I want is a nice cold beer. You know why? Because we gain a taste for it. And there's things in life that we gain a taste for that we shouldn't. And then there's things in life that we won't try. But if we just taste it, suddenly we'll start to see that it tastes nice. And the more that you taste of God, the more you experience of God, the more you like it. That's why David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because once you taste of the goodness of God, there's nothing like it in this life. Fifth question, do you smell the sacrifice of God? Do you smell the sacrifice of God? You know, the Hebrews would make sacrifices to God. Like they would kill bulls and goats. They would bring grain unto God. And this is how they would know if God liked their sacrifice or not. God would say, this sacrifice is a sweet aroma to me. I I don't know. I think God's got different you know, smells things different to what we do. If I smell like a burning goat, I don't think it's a beautiful aroma, you know? But, th- but that's what God says. It's a beautiful aroma. And, and if it stinks before God, God doesn't accept it. And when Jesus came into this world and, into, uh, uh, and, and he gave of his life for you and me, he came as a sacrifice. And it was the most beautiful aroma this world has ever experienced. And if you just get a sniff, of this sacrifice, you will realize it's the most amazing aroma known to man. Now, I like to smell things. I have this habit that I just wish I didn't, but I have to smell everything. I'm going to gross you out right now. And so, just to warn you, before we moved to Maryland, we stayed with some of our friends. We lived in Missouri. We stayed with some of our friends for about a month. And they had this dog who was just wild and was not house trained at all. And he would just go and pee and poop all over the house. And then one day, I was, uh, we were down in the basement, and he had pooped on the floor. I mean, it was kind of disgusting. And so I went down cleaning it up, and I'm trying not to gag because I smell things and I gag a lot. So I'm trying it, and... A little bit got on my finger. I mean, it was kind of disgusting. And so, Alex, the natural reaction when something comes on my finger is to smell. So I don't know why I did it. So I did it, and everyone saw it, and I suddenly just went, like this. Next thing we know, there's poop on the floor, and Alex is throw up on the floor. You know, I just had this thing smell it. So, like, we're in the mall, and you'll go past that store. What's it called? Crush. The one with all the candles and the things. And I just have to hold my breath because I can't stand the smell. I'm, like, <gasps> like walking past it. But, you know, if I go into Macy's and there's the cologne counter or something, I'll go straight to, like, the Izzy Miyagi one, and I'll spray it, and I'll put it all over myself. Because I just like the smell. 
And then this, and this is what I've discovered. When you get a sniff of God, of the sacrifice of God, that's the only cologne that you're going to want to wear. You're going to want to smell it all day. When you get a sniff of what this world is, you're going to start gagging. Because it's just nasty and disgusting. And maybe the first time you might like the smell, but it's like a cheap perfume. And you just like want to just wash it off. Once you smell the love of God, you won't want to smell anything else. So, do you feel the compassion of God? Do you see the grace of God? Do you hear the small whisper of God? Do you taste the goodness of God? Do you smell the sacrifice of God? The problem for so many of us, we don't. You know why? Because we make it a head thing. We think loving God is a head thing. And then others, we think loving God is an emotional thing. If we don't get all emotional, we're not loving God. But the real way to love God is to love God through our senses. Because the senses are the gateway to the soul. What are you touching? What are you viewing? What are you hearing? What are you tasting and what are you smelling? So often, the things that we see and hear and taste and touch and smell are not the things of God. You know, so often we watch things we shouldn't be watching. We listen to conversations that aren't healthy. You know what happens to someone who's, gossip, who's a gossiper? They gossip because they're probably around a lot of people who gossip. If you start viewing things that you shouldn't be viewing, eventually you're going to start doing things you shouldn't be doing. If you are hearing things you shouldn't be hearing, eventually you're going to be saying things you shouldn't be saying. So often we sniff at things that just fade away. We taste things that aren't good and they just pass away. And then we reach out and we touch the things that aren't good for our soul. But the one who follows the greatest commandment is the one who opens their senses to God. They feel nothing but compassionate for God or the compassion of God. They see nothing but how glorious God is. They hear the gentle, encouraging whisper of God. They taste the goodness of God. And they smell the sweet aroma of God. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 tells us this. You will be kept in perfect peace. All who trust in you, God. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. Isaiah is saying this. He's saying when you're in a man, in a woman, in a person, it's fixed on Jesus. When the Jiminy Crickets of your life start to think on the things of God. When that person comes, that inner person that only you know comes and they start to fix their thoughts on God. And when you direct that inner person to Jesus, you'll start to love the Lord your God with all your soul. And do you know what the Bible says will happen? You'll be kept in perfect peace. I don't know if there's anything more that this world needs right now, that our lives need, that is peace. 
We worry about our kids. We worry about our marriages. We worry about our finances. We worry about our jobs. We worry about our governments. We worry about the little things in life. If there's anything that we need right now, it's peace. And the way we gain peace is to fix our inner man, inner woman on God. Open up your senses to God and your life will never be the same again. Let's bow our heads in prayer.